This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next-generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin. And today we're joined by Sam Jeske, Senior Fellow here at MP, and Mondaire Jones. Mondaire is a lawyer, an alum of the Obama Department of Justice, and now candidate for the Democratic nomination in New York's 17th Congressional District. Uh, Mondaire, it's great to have you on today. It's really great to be here. Thanks, guys, for giving me the opportunity to speak to your listeners. Of course, my pleasure. And and now, while I just detailed some of your professional qualifications, I know that you are much more than just a resume. So can you start by telling our audience a bit about your personal background and the work you did prior to running for Congress, and then what inspired you to take that leap? Yeah, I appreciate that because I am so much more than, than, a, than a resume, uh, and it is something that distinguishes me from the other people in this campaign. Um. I'll start by saying that New York's 17th Congressional District consists of all of Rockland County and parts of Central and Northern Westchester County. Uh, So these are, of course, suburbs of New York City. And unlike the people we're used to seeing in our politics, I don't come from money or from a political family. I grew up in Section 8 housing and on food stamps, and I was raised by a young single mom who, like so many incredible women all throughout my district and all throughout this country, still had to work multiple jobs just to put food on the table for us and keep the lights on. When we talk about things like a $15 minimum wage being absolutely necessary at a minimum, (laughs) for emphasis, at the federal level, uh, that is something that I know firsthand to be true based on my own experience. She got help raising me from my grandparents. My grandfather was a janitor and my grandmother cleaned homes. And when daycare was too expensive, she took me to work with her. So when former presidential candidates like Elizabeth Warren Uh, And sitting members of the House, like Deb Haaland, both of whom have endorsed my campaign, talk about the need, the pressing need for universal child care in this country. That's a fight that I want to join when I get to Washington, because I know that there is a great need for that. And I don't want anyone and any kid to have to experience what I experienced when I was growing up. My grandfather died of cancer. And when he died of cancer, my grandmother worked well past the age of retirement just to pay for the high cost of prescription drugs and medical procedures that aren't fully covered by Medicare. I happen to think that healthcare is a human right, certainly in the richest nation in the history of the world. That distinguishes me from my opponents. And with the help of an entire community, I was able to transcend humble beginnings uh, and make it to Stanford University, uh, work in the Obama administration at the Department of Justice, vetting candidates for federal judgeships, and working on criminal justice reform for an attorney general who actually cared about social justice. Then I went to Harvard Law School, and in my spare time, went into Roxbury and Dorchester and provided free legal representation to people who couldn't afford it, where I saw firsthand what I already know as a Black guy in this country, which is that people like me are over-arrested, over-policed, and and over-prosecuted and over-sentenced for things that other people never get into trouble for. Uh, I founded a nonprofit that teaches professional skills to underserved middle school students, and most recently, I was a lawyer for Westchester County, litigating and winning the county's biggest cases. And... I got involved in politics. Uh, More particularly, I got involved in this congressional race because I've been inspired by young people 
uh, including young people of color who are not waiting their turn, but instead they're giving voters a choice. Uh, and they're talking about the big structural changes. Some people call it revolutionary, uh, that we desperately need to improve our society for everyone and not just a subset of the American people. And we've been defying expectations every step of the way. And I think we're going to win on June 23rd. So you announced your candidacy even before the current representative, Nita Lowy, announced her retirement and intent not to run again. So you were running even before it was an open seat. What directly inspired you to seek elected office? Were there any events or kind of thought processes you went through that thought, you know, this is the time where I need to run for this House seat and, and become part of the federal government again? You know, we were, we were in a place that summer where, and, and really the, the spring uh, with, with, the, with the release of the Mueller report, uh, where my member of Congress and many Democrats were not in support of impeachment, which infuriated me um, as someone who suffers every single day from the things that Donald Trump does in office, his embrace of white supremacy, his assault daily on members of the LGBTQ community. Um, but also my member is, you know, the chair of the House Appropriations Committee. And uh, respectfully, uh, if I had been in that role, I would have not allowed any budget to pass that didn't lift, um, you know, that didn't get tax relief to people in my district. Uh, that, that's that salt deduction. Uh, which crushed families in my district, not just wealthy families, but lower income families and middle class families. It's really easy to pay more than $10,000 in state and local taxes in New York. Um, you know, look, I am someone who was adversely impacted by passage of DOMA. Uh, and, you know, it sent a message to people like me that we were less than human. Um, and, you know, that's something that my member of Congress voted for. Uh, and so, you know, with that and the slow embrace of a Green New Deal, uh, there, there were real differences between myself and my member of Congress, who I happen to have tremendous respect for, by the way. Um, but I think it's really time for uh, a sea change in our politics, especially within the Democratic the Party. So let's talk about the current state or the status quo, right? So we've been watching social unrest as a result of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all of the protests against police brutality across the country. Um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, abolish the police, demilitarize the police, defund the police. And congressional Democrats today introduced a bill to do just that. I think part of the package was they wanted to make it easier to prosecute officers uh, for misconduct, uh, impose new restrictions on their ability to use deadly force, to ban chokeholds, no-knock warrants, etc. Are you familiar with the bill that was introduced? And if you were in the House, would you support that bill or would you want to see even more drastic reforms taken? You know, it's, it's, it's not an either or for me. Um, we desperately need reforms, real policing reforms and criminal justice reforms. And I dare say other reforms. One of the conversations that I've been, um, that I've been having with people in my district at, at rallies that have consisted largely of white people in, in Westchester and in Rockland counties of late is that systemic racism uh, goes well beyond individualized uh, police killings of unarmed black and Hispanic people in this country. We must have a broad conception of systemic racism uh, that touches on things like uh, how we fund our public education system. Uh, as of now, it is a property tax-based system that concentrates tens of billions of more dollars in white communities and deprives black and brown kids of critical educational opportunities. Uh, it is a healthcare system that conditions your, your ability to get necessary medical care on, on your economic means. 
which disproportionately harms black and brown people in this country. Uh, and I can go on and on. And so, uh, so the, the end of the analysis is not just with policing reform. But yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm glad that Congress is finally doing something that it should have done under President Obama when we had majorities in both the House and the Senate with, in connection with policing reform. One thing that I want to remind people of is that Black Lives Matter is not a new concept. The advent of Black Lives Matter was under a Democratic president. Uh, and so, yes, we need, we need to do the things that are currently being proposed right now in Congress, um, but we also need to radically reimagine our criminal justice system. Uh, more aptly, I think, called a criminal legal system because there's very little justice in it right now if you're Black or Hispanic in this country. Uh, and that means ending mass incarceration. Uh, it means legalizing cannabis. It means fully funding the right to counsel uh, and eliminating cash bail, doing away with mandatory minimums and sentencing, uh, and investing in alternatives to incarceration. So I support defunding the police uh, to the extent that we are reinvesting so much money, like what they're planning to do in, in Los Angeles, uh, in community-based programs uh, that are going to actually improve public safety uh, and not risk black, black and brown lives in the process. So I want to kind of more from the abstract into the more tangible, right? So you went to Stanford undergrad, Harvard Law, you're Black and you're gay, and you're born and raised in the district. You went to public school. How has your identity shaped your lived experience in Rockland County, in Westchester, in the district that you're running for Congress for? Yeah, it is, as, as, I, as I think of the fact that it took national unrest to get my opponents in this primary to even put criminal justice and policing reform items on their websites. Not all of whom, uh, by my research, have, even, have done so even today. Uh, speaks to the fact that we need more people in Congress for whom policy is personal. Growing up poor, black, and gay in the village of Spring Valley in Section 8 housing, I never imagined that someone like me for run, could run for Congress. And in fact, there's never been an openly gay black member of Congress in the approximately 244 year history of the United States of America. Um, if I had been able to see that, it would have been direct evidence for me that things really do get better, uh, that there was and would be a place for me in a world filled with so much injustice that I could really be my authentic self. Representation is not why I'm running for Congress uh, in, in the sense of just being being there as a black gay person, but it, the power of that is not lost on me because now nearly every day people young and old reach out to me to tell me that they are so proud of me for running as an openly gay candidate or running as a black candidate who has out fundraised literally everybody in this race with the exception of um, one of my opponents uh, and, and who's done so without taking money from corporations or, or self-funding. I couldn't if I wanted to, but my billionaire opponent is obviously doing that. But I know what it's like to be discriminated against in this society uh, and to need representation that will actually fight for you uh, and not just appear in certain parts of the congressional district, but who will go into, uh, into certain communities, black and brown communities, low-income communities, uh, and, and also speak to their concerns uh, and their lived experiences. And that... That has, and that has made me the candidate in this race who recognizes that it's not just enough to get rid of Donald Trump, that people were hurting well before Donald Trump got elected, and that we've got to materially improve the lives of everyone so that we never vote, folks never feel like they have to vote for Donald Trump again, who promised, someone who promises to blow up the status quo. 
So I want to dig even further into that. Um, I loved what you said about how representation matters, but representation is not enough. I want to take this to the national upcoming election. Vice President Biden has promised to put uh, a woman on his ticket as vice president, and he has also promised uh, to make uh, to appoint a black woman uh, to the Supreme Court. Is that type of representation? Um, is that tokenism or is that progress? I, I, I'm still struggling myself as a white liberal who sees that and says, that's great. We should absolutely be doing that. But are those the types of things that someone at the top of the t- ticket should be promising? You know, I am fine with him doing that because it is a past time for a woman to be in the Oval Office. Uh, it is certainly the case that just being a woman or just being Uh, a racial or ethnic minority does not mean that you are going to serve the interests of that community well, or the interests of the American people broadly well. Well, I think a good example of that would be Clarence Thomas, right? I think he's kind of on the other side of the spectrum compared to most African Americans in the country. Give me a white man any day over Clarence Thomas on the (laughs) Supreme who is actually going to stand up for the civil rights of Black people. Uh, and, 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 you know, so, 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 so that, but, but it doesn't have to be either or we can, we can do both. Right. So, um, I'm running to be the first openly gay black member of Congress in U S history. That's significant. That's important. There's power in that. Uh, but I wouldn't be worth voting for if I didn't have the best interests of, of those communities at heart. Right. And so I'm looking to see which women, which woman he appoints. He, he selects to be his, his vice presidential nominee. I'm looking to see which black woman he nominates to be on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Uh, and I certainly think there, that there are wonderful options that vice president has for each of those two categories. Uh, and I hope that now that he's made that commitment, he will make the right choice, <laughs> uh, one that will uh, excite people to go out and vote for him in November. Uh, and um, and also one that will inspire people who understandably feel like they have not been represented well, that no one's really understanding their experiences and looking out for them in office. What's up, everybody? We're going to take a quick break from the podcast and let you know that Millennial Politics is now on Spotify, Stitcher, the Google App Store, and iTunes, basically anywhere you get your podcast. If you like the show and like hearing from previous guests, such as Mary Pete Buttigieg, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley, and many more, make sure you subscribe, give us five stars, and leave a review. High ratings and good reviews are some of the best ways people can find us. And if you want to see us continue doing this work, we hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. So let's let's go back to um, some legislation. So you, we talked about kind of the Democrats' new bill that was just introduced today on police reforms. Um, you have kind of been a outspoken progressive in your campaign, touting many very progressive policies. Let's say you're elected to Congress this fall and sworn in on January 3rd, 2021. 
what will some of your first legislative priorities be besides kind of the police reform things that we've talked about? What other things do you think are at the um, at the top of the ticket that should be most important? We have to get money out of politics. If we don't do that, so much of the things that I've been campaigning on are are are, are that much harder to get enacted. Uh, already, they are ambish, ambitious in their scope. Uh, and you know, look at Medicare for all, where you've got so many members of the House Democratic Caucus and uh, and 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 Democratic members of the of the Senate saying that that they can't get behind something like that. Uh, when you have a system of campaign financing that favors the super rich or people who are willing to um, compromise uh, with corporations in exchange for PAC money, uh, then you have a system that is not serving the best interests of the American people. I'm proud to be one of the few people in my race not taking corporate PAC money. Uh, and in the case of my billionaire opponent, who is self-funding millions of dollars and deeply beholden to the pharmaceutical industry, which, which is where, he, where his wealth is generated. Uh, people like that should not be able to have an outsized advantage. We need a system of public financing that allows uh, people from all walks of life uh, to, to, to run successfully for office. It's how we're going to make sure that our representatives actually reflect the median American view on any number of things. Progressive policies, as you know, poll very well among not just Democrats, but Republicans, but you would never know it from, from so much of the, so many of the Democrats in Congress right now who need to be, you know, in some instances primaried or, 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 or who need a, a national, you know, national protests or, or scandal or some national political moment uh, to get them to do the right thing and show political courage. And so speaking of kind of primarying um, in office Democrats, you were recently endorsed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who famously unseated Joe Crowley in a primary in 2018. What does her endorsement mean to you, both on a personal level and a political level? When I decided to run for Congress, against the chair of the House Appropriations Committee. Again, someone for whom I have great respect, um, but real disagreements on policies at the time. Uh, I was inspired to do that by the success of people like AOC, uh, people who are folks of color, young people, who knew that they had the talent to be successful in the political process. And the integrity and the commitment and the political courage and the intellectual resources uh, to be an effective legislator. And so I said, okay, I'm certainly qualified to be in Congress. I'm not currently feeling well represented. We, and I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> Because so many of the things that we need right now, we can't afford to wait on. I mean, climate change, for example, is existential. Uh, in, in, the U, in this UNIPCC report, says we've got 10 years left before irreparable harm to the planet. So let's step out on faith because it's been done before. And someone who has many of my experiences did it. And she's only a few congressional districts south of me. Uh, and so it is, it is, it is, it feels like full circle to now get her endorsement um, for an open seat 
and uh, and to have not just her endorsement, but so many national progressive leaders like Julian Castro and 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 Elizabeth Warren and you name it, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which just announced its first ever independent expenditure of me. Apparently, I saw that reported yesterday in Politico. So. Mondaire, you have vetted judges in the past. You worked in the Obama administration's Department of Justice. There have been numerous reports about the Trump administration's appointing unqualified judges to the federal judiciary. What do you think of the Senate Republicans and Donald Trump pushing through people who have never tried a case, who really don't meet the minimum qualifications to be a federal judge? And what impact will that have on the next 10, 15, 20 years of judicial rulings? You know, these are nominees who are unwilling to say that they agree with Brown v. Board of Education, which we had just taken for granted as this bedrock principle in American law. Uh, These are nominees who are unwilling to say they support Roe v. Wade uh, or uh, or unwilling to to show that they have even uh, argued pre-trial motions. These are folks seeking to be lifetime trial district court judges, trial court judges who don't have significant or even substantial litigation experience uh, and, and who are not rated qualified by the ABA. So it is it is really, really scary that these people are getting lifetime appointments and are going to be able to decide the fates of not just criminal defendants, uh, but of people like myself, people who are black and gay uh, and and who need civil rights and civil liberties protections uh, to, to live in our society comfortably and with dignity and with protection, especially with right, white supremacy on the rise uh, and systemic racism pervading all aspects of our society. Uh, it's really scary, and it's it's one of the uh, it's one of Trump's victories, uh, and it's and it's it's something we have to undo by voting him out of office this November. Uh, we certainly can't afford the same with respect to the Supreme Court, which where there's already a, a conservative majority. Are you in favor of rebalancing the federal judiciary or expanding it in some way? Some of these more drastic proposals, maybe not drastic, progressive would probably be a better word for it. Um, you know, it's not without precedent. I believe, you know, we have expanded the the courts in the past. I believe it was FDR who did it last. Um, but is that something that you would be in support of? Absolutely. It's, it's funny. I kind of, I, I almost, I almost added that to my last comment. I, I've written now uh, for Salon that I think that we need to be increasing the size of the Supreme Court. We had a Supreme Court seat stolen from us. <laughs> that was Merrick Garland's seat that was kept open for a year uh, for some ridiculous, unexcusable reason. Uh, and how were Republicans punished for that? Well, they, 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 um, you know, they won the Oval Office uh, and got now both majorities in, in well, excuse me, uh, not in the House, but, uh, but, you know, but, they won, but they won unified control of Congress back then in that 2016 election. And so we can do this without being punished for it by the electorate. It's the right thing to do. It's happened over the past hundreds of years. Uh, The Supreme Court has not been fixed at nine people uh, permanently. And as we think about the things that we need to do as progressives that we've been pushing for, so much of that is at stake with, with this current composition of the Supreme Court. 
you know, even HR one, which which is you know number one priority for me, as you as you, as you asked me earlier about you know what's my number one pr- legislative priority and getting money out of politics. That bill would also do automatic voter legislation. Excuse me, voter registration. Uh, it would it would create a, a, a system of public financing. Uh, it would make it more difficult for people to be purged from uh, you know from voter rolls in the way that they were in that Georgia gubernatorial election that was stolen from Stacey Abrams. And I worry, I think, with really good reason that this Supreme Court would strike down provisions of H.R. 1 even, democracy reform, to say nothing of, its, of, of their demonstrated commitment to continuing to erode Voting Rights Act. They, they've already gutted so much of the Voting Rights Act. Um, you know, they would strike down Roe v. Wade tomorrow if, if, it had its, if, if the Supreme Court had its way. We have to make sure that we are, um, that we are putting people of good conscience on that Supreme Court uh, and that we have a, a majority of people who want to do right by the American people. Now, Mondaire, we have two more questions for you, our penultimate question here. I think in this particular moment in time, it's really easy for people to lose faith, to lose hope. You know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, the the likes of which we haven't seen since 1918. We're in the middle of, you know, one of the deepest economic recessions that could turn into the worst depression since the 20s. You know, we're seeing a rise in just vocal racism and sexism and uh, social unrest. How do you stay hopeful? And what would your message be to someone who may not be feeling quite hopeful right now? I'm hopeful when I'm in rallies in Irvington, in Nyack, um, in, in, in Port Chester, in Haverstraw. These are all places in my district. And I'm seeing large numbers of white people out protesting racial injustice, rallying for uh, black lives. Uh, and these are people who, in many instances, are wealthy. Um, so many of them are young. Young people really get that this country is messed up. And it feels to me and to older people who've been around for longer, who I, with whom I've spoken in recent days, that for the first time, we are building the kind of movement required to obtain the reforms that we need uh, statewide and nationally. And young people in particular continue to give me hope. They were giving me hope even before this last week. Uh, they are—they will be part of the story. They will be a big reason why we win this race. The story of this race will be that young people came together and stood up to the pharmaceutical industry uh, and the defense industry and the fossil fuel industry and elected a generational candidate to Congress, nominated a generational candidate to Congress who was going to be a fighter for working people and for racial justice, uh, they give me hope every single day. When I see them make 19,000 phone calls in my campaign in the span of two hours, something that another campaign has bragged about doing in the course of one week, that gives me real hope. So last question, if people want to learn more about what you have to say or help out on your campaign, how can they find you? They can visit mondaireforcongress.com. That's M-O-N-D-A-I-R-E-F-O-R congress.com. They can sign up to volunteer, as hundreds of people have already done, uh, on the vo- at, using that volunteer sign-up form at the bottom of the page. Um, you know, and there's one thing I want to say, add on to what I said earlier, which is that this is a real moment for change that gives hope. Uh, 
seeing that, seeing that we've got elections coming up where we can we can make the difference in so many key races. It's not just enough to be a Democrat, right? Uh, you have to be a good Democrat, uh, someone who's going to actually fight for the things that we say we care about as a Democratic Party. That's that I think is an opportunity to be filled with hope that we can do that in, in this in congressional races and down ballot races, and of course in November when we get rid of this crazy man in the White House. Mondair, thank you so much for com- coming on and, and leaving us with that uh, optimistic note. And uh, on a personal level, it, it was great to connect. And I think I speak for all of us here at Millennial Politics. Uh, we're going to be following your race uh, very closely on June 23rd. Thank you. It, it means a lot to me. I'm really honored by the opportunity. Please stay in touch and, and get involved. Uh, even if it's not in my race, there are so many other races around the country where progressives are fighting and they've got a really good chance of, of, of getting themselves elected with your support. So thanks. Thank you. And for our listeners, be sure to check us out at millennialpolitics.co. Subscribe to our podcast and iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash and stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks. Mm-hmm.